As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you, Jenny, for that reading. We are in part six of a series called Edify. Edify means to build up, build up the body of Christ, the church. And today my message is entitled, Every Member Ministry. We've been kind of walking through various different ways, what does it mean to build up the body? Now let me just say a little something about this. If the body of Christ, if the church is not built up and strong, you will be sad. Right? You will be sad. Because we all need a beautiful community. We need a shining light of what people can be like, not just as individuals, but gathered together. So today I have this very important message called Every Member Ministry. And what we're talking about today is the priesthood, the priesthood of believers. That's what this text is about, right? And so it's a, there's a lot actually in this, that even in those short verses that our sister read. But the verse that I especially want to um, focus on today is verse 9. You are a chosen race. This is a plural you. You, if you believe in Jesus to be your Savior, if you've received the gospel as your hope, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. I'm going to talk about this. What does it mean that you are a priesthood? Did you know that you're a priest? Isn't that strange? I'm a priest. I never saw myself as a priest. I never wanted to be a priest. (laughs) I sure as heck didn't ever want to be a priest, but you are. You are a priest. You are a royal priest. Brought to be a part of a holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Some of you know that song. This is where it comes from. Marvelous light. You guys like that song? It's right here. It's from this verse. And so today as we talk about what does it mean that you are a priest what I would like to call every member ministry. It's a very important principle in our church. And to be very frank, Asian churches are very bad at this. (laughs) Asian churches really don't believe that every member is a priest. We really just stink at this. And that's why I I want to push this verse home to you. This is from the Word of God. This is what God says we are and how we are to be. And I want to talk about that today. So in three parts, part one... What is a priest? What's a priest? And some of you probably have these ideas 
about some holy man. Maybe you grew up in a certain kind of church where a guy who wore certain kind of vestments did certain kinds of things and, you know, and he said certain kinds of words. Um, that is not fundamentally what a priest is. So just first of all, what is a priest? Part two, every member ministry. Every member. That's the, the Bible's teaching. Every member ministry. And part three, Jesus He's the one who always leads us, the author and perfecter of our faith, because he's the great high priest. Part one, what is a priest? This text, this passage, is telling us something extraordinary that God has done in history. And God, when he formed the church, the church, I know this doesn't doesn't seem like it. Sometimes you look at a church Because mostly when you look at the church, you look at its kind of institutional representation. You see a building, you ever seen that, you know, here's a church, there's a steeple, open the door and see all the people, and that's kind of what you see. You see the steeple, you see the the cross, you see the people, and you're like, that's the church. But actually, that's only kind of, in, in a sense, the physical, the visible sense of the church. The the church, which the theologians call the invisible church is a more spiritual reality. And what, what, the, what the author here, this is Peter, it's pretty hard, uh, it's a pretty good authoritative voice, he said, this is, he's, he's seeing that the church is really a culmination of something that God has been doing throughout history. And really one here, here is saying, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You know what he's saying? God is really changing it up. That in ancient Israel, this is the way it was. God made Israel based upon one particular person. All the sons of a particular man, his name is Jacob. And then later on, God changed this guy's name to Israel. And he had a bunch of sons. And, and all those sons got a particular tribe, and they were named certain tribes all over. The, 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 and they made up all the, they comprised all of Israel. So all the descendants of various different tribes... It's actually something that's a little strange to us, but if I were to go to, today we're going to go see the Native Americans out there in Bishop, they would completely understand this idea that certain families get a certain piece of land. And so if you were from Manasseh, if you were of the tribe of Manasseh, which means if you go back far enough, there was a son of Jacob named Manasseh, and you, you lived in that particular land, and your land was the source of your life and your wealth, and so if you happen to have the land that's by the ocean, you would probably become fishermen. <laughs> because, and so literally, God chose you to have that land. So because you have that land, you would have c- certain kinds of jobs, and your tribe would get very good at certain forms of ways of working the land and then to ways of con- contributing to the economy. It's really quite remarkable. Yeah? It's almost like because you had a certain forefather, you'd become an engineer. But if because you had this other forefather, you'd become a farmer. And if you had this other forefather, you'd become a fisherman. And so whole economies are shaped on this. But God set apart one particular tribe to not have a, a specific land. He, gave, he would put them in certain cities, but this tribe was the tribe of Levi. And the Levites, so all, the, all the, those who are of the tribe of Levi... They had a very special purpose, and they were meant to be the priests. So now, hence, we're getting a little closer. The priests, they had a very special job. 
very special calling in all of the people of God, and they were intended to be the guardians, the keepers, those of the temple. And the temple is very important. So it's very hard, I think, today for us to quite imagine this. But there was a physical building in the middle of Israel, and if you wanted to go encounter God, you go there. And there, it, was, it would have varying, varying places. So there'd be an outer, and then there'd be a somewhat inner, and then there'd be more. And then first the Gentiles could be here, and then only Israelites can be here, and then only the priests could be here. And in the center, only the high priest could go. And so the Levites could go, they could go to certain places that the regular people couldn't go. Okay? They were quite literally closer to God. So in the very center of the temple was a place that was called the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. You know, some of you guys are like, what's the Ark of the Covenant? If you ever watch this movie called Raiders of the Lost, this is how you have to learn the Bible these days. You have to go to a Hollywood movie to learn about the Bible, so I'm helping you, okay? If you've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, you saw that thing, and, 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 and it was this glorious golden thing, and that was probably not a bad representation in the movie. Of course, the movie is, is nonsense in a lot of different ways, but um, that depiction of what it looked like was not bad. But that would sit in the middle of the temple, and God's glorious presence would be right there. If you ever wanted to test if God was really there, you could try stepping in there, and you would die. That, that's because you're unholy. We're all unholy. And this place was called the Holy of Holies. And the Levites were the upkeepers and guardians of the temple. And anybody who would come to the temple to come and worship God, to give of their sacrifices and pray, pray to Him, then they would be the ones to receive you and help you. Now, let me give you a little, just a picture of this. They would be the priests, so the, literally the people who would help you come and worship. They would be the people to receive your sacrifices. They would be the people to pray with you and for you. They're there to come alongside of you. But the Levites didn't only, they were not only the people who helped you do the acts of worship. They did things like they helped, they were the musicians. They were the singers. They probably kept songbooks. I mean, quite literally, they probably kept, they didn't do it quite the way we do it today, but they probably kept songbooks. They probably taught the people songs. They were the guards, because some of his riches, I mean, were kept at the temple, and so you had to have people who guarded the temple. They were probably the accountants. You see what I'm saying? They did everything so that people can come and meet God. And when, and when Peter is writing this, he's saying a very extraordinary thing. So at this time, in first century, the, all the people who are, who, a lot of the people who believe in Jesus, many of them were Jews. And so they understand that Jesus is a culmination of all the promises, of what, we, what we now call the Old Testament, back then they just called it the Bible, and was the culmination of all these practices. But when Peter says to you, 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 all you believers, you are a royal priesthood, you know what that is? It's a shocking and extraordinary thing. Just as now, some of you are thinking like a priest is a guy at the temple. Well, today he's saying this. This is how he puts it. 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's, he, and then before he says up this in verse, uh, let me go back here, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen impression, you yourselves are like, a living, are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, you are the temple. He's saying, before in the past, there was temples, and we built this with stones. But now, you're the stones. You're the priests. And if people want to meet God, there is a holy of holies, but now there's a whole different kinds of priests that help people meet and come close to the most holy one, who is Jesus. And Jesus went into the center to be the sacrificial lamb, to be the high priest, and so that he would be the most accessible way so now we can come and meet God. And there's now a whole other set of people who would be the temple and who would be the priest to come. And they would do the jobs like singing and accounting and guarding and praying. They would do all these things so that a people can come to the most holy place, who is Jesus. And a whole set of people would come along to intercede for them. So what is a priest? Let me give you a a simple definition. A priest is one who comes between God and a whole lost set of people. A priest is one who intercedes. A priest is one who comes alongside. A priest is one who comes from God to a broken people, to help a broken people come to God. That's what a priest is. And that's all of you, if you believe in Jesus. It's all of you. That's part one of my message. That's what a priest is. It's all of you. God does not just save you so you can have a nice life, live in suburbia, get all my bills paid up, my kids, and, and, and grow perfect kids to go to perfect college and a perfect marriage, and then I get to go to the good place one day. He calls you to be a son and a daughter and a priest. And so that into a broken world, he sends a people. And those people can come alongside a broken people to help them come meet and come to the most holy place, the most holy one, who is no longer one we have to fear, but one whom we can come, who is very accessible because he has atoned for us and taking the fear away. He is Jesus. That's the priest. That's part one of my message. What is a priest? Part two. Every member ministry. If you take this teaching seriously, and I hope you do, there's tremendous implications about what the church is and how the church is supposed to be. What every member of a church how they're supposed to think and behave and operate in terms of their life and toward the church. Now, I want to just say a little something about this. Most people, I think, as I look around the church, most churches do not believe in the priesthood, the royal priesthood of being a Christian. They just don't believe in it. Now, you can go to a church, you can teach this thing, and you can say, do you believe in this thing? Well, that's what it says in the Bible, so I guess I believe in it. But that's not what I mean by believing it. You, kind of intellectually, cognitively, can take this verse, take this idea that I just gave to you, put it in your mind, go, okay, that's right. 
But that doesn't mean you really believe in it. If you really believe in it, you will go, wow, I'm a priest. I guess I should start learning how to act like a priest. I am a priest. I think there's a, there's a disconnect with a lot of, a lot of people as, as Christians. Um, the Bible says this is what you are, but then we're like, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. But it's actually already in you. It's actually already in you. It's already been given to you. It's not something you earn. <laughs> Jesus won it for you, and now he's conferred this glorious thing upon you. So you're going, I'm scared of that. But actually, it's a tremendous gift and a tremendous calling. And in very ways, the Levites were special. And now, that which is special is being conferred upon all of God's people. Um, every member is being called to ministry. Now, let me make a, a contrast. Most people think of ministry as something like this. Ministry is the work that holy people who know about God, they do that stuff. So, the most obvious people who do ministry are pastors and ministers. Right? Pastors, ministers, and, uh, and missionaries. And so, you notice our, mission, our, our, our missions team today, was, were they all comprised of pastors? <laughs> you, you notice that they were not all comprised of pastors? We, we had, we, we had uh, 19-year-old uh, young people up here. They're not pastors. Do you know that they're doing ministry when they go out to bishop? Do you know that they're priests when they go out to bishop? And one of the reasons we do it this way is because our church, we are trying to teach you every member ministry. But there's a lot of people who think, okay, the guy up front, that guy does ministry. I'm just a regular Joe. I don't do ministry. I'm a regular Joe or I'm a regular Esther. Just, just, a name to, just name two common people, but with very common names. I'm a regular Joe, although Joe and Esther, you probably don't see them as regular Joes and Esthers. I'm a regular John, <laughs> right? Or, you know, a regular Matt, okay? Um, that's how many of you see yourself. But, actually, you're, you're a royal priesthood. Um, some of you grew up in, in churches that practice more of a hierarchical way of doing ministry. And so, uh, especially if you, if you ever came, if you have a background in an Episcopalian church or in a Catholic church, uh, the Catholic church has a very particular hierarchical way of doing ministry. And the Catholic church, for, so the priest is a very specific guy. <laughs> and he does very specific, I mean, I, I don't know if they quite do it this way anymore, but Traditionally, especially if you go back 30 or 40 years ago, there's a very specific set of rites and rituals that the Catholic priest was supposed to do. He's supposed to wear a certain set of clothes and say a certain set of things and raise his hands in certain kinds of ways. And only he could do it. And, but so this idea that now everybody's supposed to be a priest, that's a really wild idea, especially for anyone who comes from a Catholic background. But there's a real problem I want, I want to say something to you about just the way the Bible balances it. Hmm? This notion that only the pastors and only the missionaries or only the priests, they do ministry and everybody else receives ministry. Let me just tell you right now, that's just wrong. So if that's how you operate and that's how you feel, your feelings are wrong, 
your operations are wrong, you're not, you're not operating according to the Bible, and no wonder the church is weak. The church, all the members are intended to do ministry and get out there and intercede and come alongside of people. Everybody's supposed to do this. But quite frankly, everybody who is used to the hierarchy, we're, we, we're, we're, we're afraid of this. And I'm, and I'm just putting this out there because I want us to admit this and, head this and look at this head on. If you come from a Catholic background, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reprogram you right now. <laughs> okay? just, we need to erase that programming. Okay? You know, it was Windows. That's bad. We need to get rid of that. <laughs> and now we need to get the Bible. <laughs> it's not Macintosh. We're not going to program you with you know, Mac OS. We're going to program you with 1 Peter chapter 2. Right? We need to have a new programming, new software. But let me also push back a little bit more this way. There's a lot of people, if you come, Asian Americans, they like this. We like this. Asian Americans believe in hierarchical culture. There's a set of people we think, okay, they're actually closer to God. You don't say it this way. No, but none of you who are Asians, well, most, which is most of the room, you don't actually sit there and go, Pastor Suzong is closer to God. He's like higher in rank, I'm down here. You don't actually say that, but you believe it. You do believe it. Okay? Um, if I go across the room over there, um, they call me Moksanim, which means pastor in Korean. And then they call a set of other guys Changnunim, which means elder in Korean. They believe these guys are closer <laughs> to God on another rank. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say that in the Bible. And so Asian culture likes this hierarchy. But then let me also just say one other set of people that likes this hierarchy. Lazy people like this hierarchy. People who don't want to do stuff for the Lord. They want to keep Christianity a very easy, manageable thing. You show up, do your little two pieces of religion, and the person up front, they do all the heavy lifting. They do ministry. So they do ministry, I receive ministry. That's the way I like it. You do the ministry. So lazy people like it this way too. So people with the baggage of churches that have hierarchical ministry, Asians like it this way. Lazy spiritual people like it this way. One other set of people that I want, I want to critique, and maybe you're one of these or all of these. Okay? One other set of people like it this way, and that is people who are just afraid and have very little confidence in their gifts. I got no gifts. I can't do ministry. I got nothing to offer. If I do this, what if I stink? What if I fail? If that's the case, go and listen to last week's message again, and the week before, and the week before. Okay? I'm hammering away at this point. There's no small gift. There's no small person. You're all a priest. Um, let me um, give you two pictures. I know that many of you think, Okay, ministry. We, we, it's, it's, it's a, the, there's a shift going on in the churches in, in our culture today where this word ministry is shifting. Because this, this notion that pastors do ministry and everybody else just receive ministry, that just means that the church is going to be a consumeristic place. I'm going to consume ministry, I'm going to consume religion, 
and they're the purveyors of ministry are going are to put this in me. But there's a big shift that's happening in a lot of churches, and I think this is so good. So that more and more churches, healthier churches, are applying 1 Peter chapter 2 and are unleashing the whole church to do ministry. Everybody do ministry. Is it better if we have five guys do ministry? And, uh, and, or is it better if we have 500 people do ministry? Isn't that a lot better? Will the world be rich if you have five people? <laughs> um, I want to give you... So the, the picture you have in your mind is the professionals do it and we receive it. But I want to erase that and I want to give you two different pictures. Picture number one. Um, one of my favorite professors when I was in seminary is Claire Davis. He's a professor of church history for, I think, almost 40 years at Westminster Seminary. He, he's, a, he's a small guy. He's an old guy. Beautiful guy. I love this Love this man, and um, and he would be talking about some. He would be talking about the Middle Ages or something, or he would talk about some kind of like 18th century problem in the church, and then all of a sudden he would fast forward to something that happened last week in his church. And he would, he told a story while I was in doctoral seminar of of a mission team that went out to some really poor place in Africa, and so it was sent by this Presbyterian church. And I think they had about 10 members. And they had some people who were well-versed in the Bible and theology, and they went out there to teach the people. But out there, there was a portion. So there was a mission team already out there, and there was a tribe that they were working with. And apparently, they didn't have a sewage system, but they did have a septic tank. You guys know what a septic tank is? A septic tank is a big old tank where... The poo-poo goes. That's basically what a septic tank is. And out there, out this tribe, they were very thankful for the septic tank because people can go do their business and then all the waste would go into the septic tank and it wouldn't go into the ground and the groundwater and so forth. And so up to this point, the tribe realized this was a big advance for them and why they were healthier because of the septic tank. And so this mission team came from America with some well-trained, educated seminary folks. And they came out there and to teach, and they shared the gospel. But while they were out there, they found out that the tribe was very nervous and because the septic tank was full. And they had no idea how to kind of empty out the septic tank, and nobody wanted to do this work. And so this mission team sat there and said, well, we came out there to give them the glories of the gospel. But one of the things that they're very nervous about is that they're going to get sick because now they cannot well, do very human things anymore in this better way that they have gotten accustomed to. So you know what happened? The elders and the deacons and some of the other team members said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard and it's not going to be fun but let's clean out the septic tank for them. And so these guys went, and they did it. (laughs) They opened this thing up, and they cleaned this deal out. I don't even know where they put it. They probably found a way to do it and haul it away and and take it somewhere else. And they did this work. 
And years later, that tribe remembers them. (laughs) Those people love us. And when they think about who is Jesus, they think Jesus is like the one who comes down when we are in our filth and we are in a really hard place. And Jesus will not be afraid to come to the most dirt. And these people said, you were like Jesus for us. You served us the way Jesus serves us. Thank you. That's what they remember. They don't remember all the theology. (laughs) What they remember is a people that was a priest for them the way Jesus was a priest for them. That's what they remember. That's a picture of the priesthood. You know, that doesn't take any special training. It just takes humility and determination. And and instead of saying, you know, I got all this education and I come from a rich country and we would never do this thing back there, but actually saying, you know what? I just want to love these people. What does it take to serve them? Any of you could have done this. You or I, if we just had enough guts, we just had enough determination and, and really good nose plugs. <laughs> right? We could have done it. And then a really good shower afterwards, okay? Any of us could have done it. This is priesthood. And it, it wasn't the most learned people they remember, just the regular Joe and Esther and Matt, <laughs> okay, that were on that team. They remember them. That's one picture. Let me offer you another picture. Um, this past week, we've been doing our devotions in First Thessalonians. And in First Thessalonians, it talks about how this church, the Thessalonian church, received the pastors who came and preached to them the gospel. But the pastors who came and preached to them, they came with lowliness. And they, were, they had affliction. And yet there was joy in Christ. And when these people saw these men, and literally they're named, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, they're named. They met three very specific people, Paul, Savannah, Timothy. They saw not only what they preached, but they saw their heart. And that's what Paul said. We came to you like a nursemaid with gentleness, like the way a nursemaid takes care of a baby. And we didn't only give you the gospel, we gave you ourselves. That's what it says in 1 Timothy. And in our community group last night, we, we, we discussed this. One of, the, one of our members in the community group asked this question. and said, well, how do you figure out who is, who is somebody you can emulate? Because that's what happened. This pattern happened. Three men showed up, shared the gospel. But more than sharing the gospel, they shared their heart. They shared of them their lives They gained and gave gentleness. And then the others in the church saw them and said, you are compelling to me. You are a different brand of humanity to me. I want to be like you. And they began to emulate them. And then as they began to emulate them, they would go out of the churches and they would do what the peace of love that was given to them, the, the priesthood that was given to them they would do for others. And then other churches would say, these Thessalonian brothers are incredible. These Thessalonian sisters, I want to be like them. 
And so this, this question came up in, in our community group discussion. How do you figure out who's a real Christian that we should try to emulate versus not? And I, just, and I want to give you this just a little simple piece of advice I gave this, this, uh, this brother last night. And it's a, it's a piece of advice I like to give all college students when they leave San Jose to go off to town. Here's what I say. Go to a church, number one. Are they big on the gospel? They proclaim Christ crucified. It's in the preaching. It's in the songs. They love this message. Right? That's a good church. Number two, the Holy Spirit is in the building. And then I often ask college students, can you tell when the Holy Spirit's in the building? They're like, no. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm thinking, I didn't think you, knew. I didn't, I didn't think you would. Let me just give you some clues. If everybody is excited about Jesus, but in the corner somebody's crying, but everybody else in the room thinks it's totally normal, that's good. The Holy Spirit's in the building. <laughs> if you see people talk to each other spontaneously, they don't just talk about sports or their grades or their midterm or their money or their mortgage. They talk about God. They want to talk about God. You see little conversations in the portion of the church and they talk about God. You hear these conversations, the Holy Spirit's in the building. If you see people pull each other aside and say, let me pray for you right now. And everybody just thinks it's normal. Oh, they're praying over there. Oh, that's cool. And they just think it's normal. The Holy Spirit's in that. That's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And here's the third. Now, now I'm getting to this third piece. I'm going to give them one more piece of advice. If you show up at the church and someone is compelling to you, an older brother, an older sister, it could be somebody maybe your age, but the way they live, their person, their character, their love for the Lord is compelling to you. It doesn't have to even be the pastor. Go to that church and hang out with them, I said. Get in their small group. When they go out to lunch, just go be there. <laughs> and just emulate them. Start to copy them. You want to know how to become godly? That's it. So that's, this is the way to do priesthood. You love Jesus. Then you go have lunch with somebody and ask them how they're doing with Jesus. If they want to have lunch with you and they want to receive the way you love Jesus and the way you want to love them, you know what you're doing? You're being a priest. Some of you will just show up in church and say, I want to pursue the Lord. Someone else will may come to the church and want to copy you. You're being a priest. This is priesthood. This is what it looks like. And in our church, I want all of you to do this. Every single who loves Jesus will say in the middle of the week, you know what, I'm going to text somebody right now. Hey, I'm praying for you. You're being a priest. Can we have coffee this week? I just want to just check on you and, and, and love on you. You're being a priest. You want to volunteer to write this little thing up, type this thing up? You're being a priest. And you're coming alongside other people and help them meet the Lord. Now let me close up this message. It's a good thing to do. Why do we do this? We do this ultimately not because you're a good person, I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to be a good Christian. If that's the reason, I'm going to be a good Christian. So I'm going to do this. From my willpower and my abilities and discipline. If you do this, 
you're operating on your own righteousness. You're operating like a Pharisee. That's not why we do it. You do it, one, because the infallible word of God says so, but two, even deeper than that. Let me close with this. This is Hebrews chapter 4. This is the way Hebrews chapter 4 describes Jesus. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold on to what we believe. Let us run toward what we believe. Things like 1 Peter chapter 2. Let us run to this. Not just believe it in our heads and just say it with our lips. Let's run to this. Our whole hearts and our lives would be a confession. Listen to this part. For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is the one who came down. And that's what we all need. We all need someone to come alongside us and look inside us and go, well, I see that you kind of stink in A's A, B, C, but that's okay, so do I. (laughs) But Jesus, though he did not come this way, was ever so gentle to come into a very, very marred and broken people. And that's what the cross is. It's a picture of how he came to us so that he can make us priests. And you, this is, it's so remarkable what, what the Lord does. One of the reasons why in our church we are so big on transparency and vulnerability and weakness is because if you will go and made a people and gave them every piece of safety and said, you know, I'm not going to condemn you. That's just like Jesus. And when they tell you how weak they are, you'll say, hmm, not a whole lot different from me. (laughs) And you will share with them your weakness and your failings, but how Jesus has been your priest. You'll be a remarkable priest. Because this is what Jesus has done for you. Would you please do this for others? And you'll be amazed to see this weakness that you have if you wrap it and baptize it in the gospel with the priest who has loved you. If you will serve this way to others, it will change them. It'll be an incredible thing. You will watch powerful, eternal, supernatural work happen right before your eyes. This is edifying. This is building up the church. This is what it means to be a priest. So brothers and sisters, please believe it. Change the program. Believe it. Live it. You will see glorious things. Let's pray. We wish it would be so easy as uh, five pastors or six pastors. But actually, Lord, you call us to something that seems hard. But you show us that you promise that your yoke is easy. Because as we go to be your priest, you would be the great high priest for us. 
And we can be your priests because first, you have been the priest to us. You have interceded for us when we had no hope of reaching God. And so, Lord, I pray that we would encourage, we would intercede. You came alongside us when we were falling down. You came alongside us and picked us up when we failed. And you came alongside us when we were so dark in a dark place and discouraged and sad. And so now, would you turn us into priests like you? And because you have done this first for us, because you have first loved us, would you cause us in our ways small and large to come alongside, to intercede, and to love one another. To love one another in this church. A powerful, incredible thing. So that we would not be stones made of rock, but living stones. Brimming with the Holy Spirit. And anyone who walks into the midst of this community, surrounded by living stones, they would say, oh my goodness, there's life in this place. The Spirit of God is in this place. There is love in these people. There is priesthood in these people. God must be in these people. That anyone will come here, their theology may be bad, they may not know the front end of the Bible from another, but they would taste of the glory of Jesus through the priesthood of this church. That's what we ask for, Lord. An incredible thing. We pray, Lord, today that some of our brothers and sisters go off to a very broken place. Would you make us living stones? Would you make us remarkable priests? And we would come alongside Paiutes and we would learn to love them and we would learn something glorious there and come back to San Jose and learn to love Vietnamese folks, learn to love Mexican folks, learn to love Chinese folks, Learn to love people who are far from you to be their priests here in San Jose. The reservation that we call San Jose. The fallen place that we call Silicon Valley. The very, very dark, lost place where we need a marvelous light called San Jose. Where we need the church, where we need priests, where we need a living temple of God. This is our longing We know, Lord, we stink at this and we fail at this. But we also pray that you, the great high priest, you are far greater. He who is in us is far greater than us. So would you come to us? Would you come to us? As we pray to you now, as we respond to you now, I ask that you would grip hearts. And this week, there will be brothers and sisters right here, right now, listening to this prayer, who have listened to this word, And they say, I want to be a priest. I've been living in poverty. I've been living in darkness. I want to live in the marvelous light. Make me a priest, Jesus. Make me a priest. Make me encouraging. Make me serving. Give me one or two people to come alongside. To this week, Lord, there'd be a lot of people who would grow as priests in this church, in this room. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.